grateful to be here this morning and we do pray that you would give us a sense of your presence pray that you would give each of us a picture of what it might look like if we were to be if the Holy Spirit were poured out upon us how that would affect our problems our hardships our heartaches our responsibilities and things that overwhelm us, things that trouble us, things that keep us awake at night, challenges that we face, responsibilities before us. How would that look different were the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us? I pray that you would work in each of our hearts today, that you would work in my heart and the hearts of each that are sitting in the pews now, that, they, that each of us would have a picture in our mind what that would look like. And he would stir us up that that would be something that we would desire and clarify how that could happen. And Lord, let us not just go through the motions of church today, but work in us, I pray. Help us. Help us to see what you wanted us to see when you, when you inspired Joel to give this prophecy and, and you preserved it down through the years for us to study. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a proper seriousness about it, proper gravity i also pray that you would uh, flood our hearts with uh, with joy and with hope and with anticipation even though we really do live in a dark hour and we have much uh, much that surrounds us that isn't really good and i know it doesn't please you and so help us in this i pray they restore our souls in christ's name we pray amen so i've been thinking about you this week about and, and you and me about the problems that we have about the responsibilities that we face. Let's think about those things. What, what responsibilities plague you or, or burden you or do you think about? Or what problems do you have? Or maybe what besetting sins do you wrestle with? And, and anybody with me on this stuff? What is it that, you know, kind of create, what is it that, that really adds to the weight of what it means to be you? What are those things? I, I think about that. What are what needs do you have? What do you tend to what do you tend to think about when you think about you know when when you when you kind of maybe when you worry or or when you're when you're anxious or, or just what thoughts go through your mind? You know they could have to do with bills that you have to pay, or responsibilities that you have, or relationships that maybe are 
are troubled. Now, I want you to look at a little list that we have here. Somebody can tell me where this list comes from. Well, I guess it's written right here. This is a list that comes from Galatians chapter. Yeah, right, you guys are so sharp. Galatians chapter 5. And this is this gorgeous section of the Bible. Joel is where we're heading today. But for right now, this list is the, what is this? We call this the, yeah, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's in this section in Galatians chapter 5 that contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And now think about the problems that you have, the besetting sins that you have, the relational fractures that you have. And imagine that you had, that you could apply the supernatural level of this stuff to that. What if you had a supernatural level of joy? What if you had a supernatural kind of uh, love? What if you were, what if God worked in you that you had supernatural peace? Would it make any difference in the relationships that you worry about, in the problems that you have, in the besetting sins, in the bad, ha anybody have any bad habits? Imagine that you had a supernatural level of self-control. I know a guy who could use some of that. Know him really well. What about this? Are you as gentle as it would, it would some gentleness would some gentleness help your marriage? Something to think about. Would a supernatural level of gentleness? What if I told you today that, that there's a way that you could be more faithful than you have ever been before in your entire life by the power of the living God in your life? That you have a level of faithfulness you've never experienced before. I was at a conference one time when I was a very young man. I remember a guy giving a testimony about moral purity. And he stood up and he said, I have discovered a level of moral purity that I never thought was even possible before. I remember thinking, hmm, that would be really nice. And I have experienced that. Um, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if it was more than a nice sign that you hang over your dinner table? What if you were growing in these things? Okay, you know what this is. This is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. The text that we're going to study today, this text that we're going to exalt in today, is from Joel. It's the prophecy of Joel in chapter 2 and verse 28. And in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, Joel is giving a prophecy to Judah, the southern kingdom, in a very dark time. There's like impending doom. Uh, uh, there's an impending invasion, for, invasion of a foreign army. And they've just endured a locust, probably maybe, maybe as many as four years of a locust infestation that's destroyed their economy and interrupted their worship and uh, frightened their hearts. And then he says, and be prepared because you're going to get invaded by uh, a foreign power. But in the middle of that, he says, but if you lament and if you grieve over the sin that's bringing this judgment, and if you repent of it, he says, he makes promises. For a believer, clouds of judgment are always silver lined with promises. And in Joel in chapter 2 and verse 28 through 32, there are three beautiful promises that we're going to look at today. Let's read this text together. This is Joel in chapter 2 and verse 28. This is what God promises through the prophet Joel to his people. And, and, and I'll give you a hint. This is, this is going to be very clearly something that we also can claim. But Joel promises, God promises through Joel to his people 
that he's going to pour out his spirit and he promises he's going to he's going to show signs and wonders in the heaven and he promises that he's going to that everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved and you see these three promises when watch for these three promises as we read this and 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 i and it will come to pass afterward that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and the female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit notice that little section started with what i will pour out my spirit we'll come to pass after i'll pour out my spirit Notice how that little section ends. I will pour out my spirit. When I was a boy, I played some baseball at third base. At third base, a guy got up to hit one time, and I cheated in a little bit because he didn't look like he hit the ball that hard. But I was wrong. He had a line drive right at me. But that's not a problem. I would just spear that line drive, and he would be out. So I remember extending my glove to that ball, and then at the last second, I thought, man, did he hit that ball hard? And so I just kind of turned my head away a little bit thinking, I, I want to see this, you know. But when you do that, what happens is your ball glove moves a little bit. And that ball hit me right in the side of the head. Now, that should explain a lot today, folks. That's, uh, <laughs> because I forgot the number one sports tip of all time. Thank you. <laughs> Keep your eye on the ball. Now, today... You want to keep your eye on the ball here in this text because in a minute we'll get the next section that we're going to read is about signs and wonders and it'll be real easy to kind of get distracted by that but i will just tell you that keeping your eye on the ball in this passage would mean that you realize what this passage is about is that god says i promise to pour out my spirit on all flesh as the other stuff happens when he pours out his spirit on all flesh that's like a that's the living reality. That's a real thing. It's as real as gravity. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh afterward. And, and your, your sons and daughters, that means like old and young people, will prophesy. Old, old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. Men and women, boys and girls, right? From male and female servants, like privileged and powerful people, smart and educated people, uneducated people. He'll pour out his spirit. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. So that's the first promise in a time of judgment is, but if you lament, if you repent, if your heart is the way it ought to be, I'll pour, pour out my spirit. And then he says in verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness the moons of blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is not figurative. It has a figurative element, but it's real. And we, we know this because Jesus repeats it in the, what's called the Olivet Discourse in the book of Matthew. Some of his disciples come and ask him questions about the end of the age, and he describes this is going to happen. And then in the book of Revelation, it's specifically described. There'll be wonders in the heavens. What that means is, in, and on earth there'll be wonders in the heavens and on earth there'll be literal things that will happen that's that's an interesting that's a second promise and 
And I'll tell you in a moment why, why that's important. And then the third promise is it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So these are the three promises to put, put them together. I'll, he says, I'll pour out my spirit. That's promise number one. I will show wonders in the last day. That's promise number two. I will save all who call upon me. Now, now the, thing I, the thing that I hope we can do is, is we can see these are real promises that people like you and i can claim even though they're they're initially made to judah here and i'll tell you i'll prove before i'm done that these were intended for you and for me anybody who who calls on the name of the lord anybody who laments and repents and asks for this outpouring of the holy spirit and it will be delivered will be saved anybody who anybody who asks for it but the that the promise is so this could get so very important let's let's go back to the first section we'll talk about it a, a section at a time in that first section you you, you notice how it's how the spirit comes it, the spirit is going to come in an outpouring and what this is referring to is in 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 the old testament some have said there's kind of an aristocracy of the spirit most scholars of the bible believe the holy spirit came upon people for a task or for a season in the old testament but after pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt every believer, this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, where everyone who believes has the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, is um, what the Bible is going to talk about in Acts chapter 2. This is quoted specifically in Acts chapter 2, so we know when it happens. But the thing that we want to focus on right for this moment is how, how does it describe? It's, it's described as a pouring out, as an abundance. So how much of the Holy, how much Holy Spirit do you get? All of it, all, that you, all of the gifts and power and ability or uh, blessing that the Holy Spirit offers. He wants to pour out in abundance, which is specifically the way Jesus talks about our, you, he, you know, how Jesus talks about, uh, he wants his people to have abundant life. Uh, he wants overflowing life. And, and who? All flesh. No exceptions. You're going to see this is going to be clearly applied later when this passage is quoted and referred to repeatedly in the new testament it includes jews and greeks and and the and the, the original audience of much of the bible is is jewish and the jewish and the new testament when you read the new testament you see this thing about the jews and the gentiles is a huge theme that the new testament continually is, is the new testament writers are continually trying to teach the people that they're the, the jewish readers often that they're uh, that god is also going to include the gentiles and so what happens is god uses this pouring out of the holy spirit as a way of doing that here's how it worked in acts chapter 2 when pentecost came the holy spirit was given and and there were people from all over the all over the region non-jewish people that that came and they got the holy spirit there was evidence that they had the holy spirit because at the time they had miraculous signs of speaking tongues of cloven tongues of fire and then throughout the book of acts you see as the message of the gospel goes to other places there's only one pentecost but it almost looks like they're little mini pentecost and and you'll notice that there's not this outpouring this evidence of this outpouring until the jews arrive to see it and that's why in first corinthians paul says that tongues is one of those signs is a sign to unbelieving jews not it didn't mean necessarily jews that were that were that weren't believing in god but jews that didn't believe that gentiles were saved like they were and the jerusalem council 
in the book of Acts is about Jewish people, whether or not they recognize that God is bringing Gentiles to himself. So, so, the, so, the, so the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in fulfillment of this prophecy and indwelt every believer. And ever since, every believer has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But initially, there was this, 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 out, this, um, this signs that accompanied that very powerfully so that everybody would see, especially that Jews would see when Gentiles were saved and got the Holy Spirit. So who gets the Holy Spirit? All who call upon him. And, and, and then the, the list, you know, is daughters and, and, and sons and daughters prophesy. Old men and young men dream dreams. Uh, sorry. Uh, sons and daughters, old men and young shall dream dreams. Young men shall see visions and male and female servants on male and female servants. I'll pour out my spirit. So this, I, without spending a lot of time on it, it's probably useful to think about the three things that are mentioned in verses uh, 28-29. It mentions prophecies and dreams and visions. We spent a lot of time on that. We could talk a lot about that. There's some conjecture about that. But it probably help at this point to simplify that and to see this in a simple way. God is pouring himself out. And, he, and when God pours himself out, you're aware of things you weren't aware of before, dreams and visions. You're aware of things at night you weren't aware of before. You're aware of things throughout your waking hours you weren't aware of before. God is speaking to you. When the Spirit pours himself out, you will be aware of what God is saying to you. And then prophecy, you will speak for him. And, and, and when you prophesy, there's a couple of, in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Bible, sometimes prophecy was a foretelling of the future. And sometimes it's a foretelling of the truth, and frequently a, a foretelling of the truth, a communication of the truth. And that's, a, that's an important thing. When you have the Holy Spirit poured out on you, or as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, and when he is unhindered, unchecked by sin and stubbornness or selfishness or the flesh in your life, then what you notice is Jesus said, like the, like the Spirit will flow out of you like rivers of living water. He said that in the book of John, that's recorded in the book of John, that Jesus said that John 7, he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, specifically says so then. And he refers to what didn't happen yet because the Holy Spirit hadn't come. So when the Holy Spirit comes and, and, you, and you get the Holy Spirit, when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit is unhindered, you can expect that God will speak to you day and night and you will speak God's truth. Now we know too that we have the complete canon of scripture, so we have a powerful way and a primary way in which God spoke. And we know that the, that the, the, the abundance of signs and wonders, we do know this, we know that the abundance of signs and, and wonders in the New Testament was primarily to confirm the apostolic message which was then recorded in the Bible. And so it's primary for us to recognize the Spirit authenticated the message of the apostles who by the power of the Holy Spirit were moved of God to write the Bible. So God speaks whenever you open your Bible. And if you want God to speak, open your Bible. That's not the only way that God speaks. That's a unique and that's the top way that God speaks. That's the kind of way God speaks that should get most of your attention. But you and I both know that God communicates, the Bible says that God communicates through nature. And through providence and the, and throughout the Bible people heard from God 
when they're sleeping, when they're awake. And people, if you read Christian biography all throughout the ages, you will notice that people have impressions from God, impulses from God that square with the scripture. One of our own men gave me permission to tell you this story. And he was working with our security team and the elders have had to work really, really hard to come up with an agreement about how that security team would go forward. And we literally had to work on it for almost two years, praying and discussing and, and talking that over. And I said to him, it was Daryl Kinder, and I said to Daryl, I said, Daryl, thank you so much for your patience, because it's really taken us a long time to get to this. And he was kind of quiet about that. Until last week, and he, he and I went to coffee, and he said, I need to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, I want to tell you why I was so patient. I said, why? He goes, well, I'm not really, not really normally that patient. He said, I don't normally have dreams. And if I have dreams, I don't normally remember them. But he said, I had this vivid dream that I was like a, like a, like a chess piece on, a chess, on God's chessboard. And that God was behind this. And that I needed, and then when he said, when I woke up, he said, I remembered it real clearly. And I knew in my heart what it meant. And I said, what did it mean? And he said, it meant be patient with the elders as they come to decision. Now, you see, that's a great example. He had a dream. He believed that what it meant in his heart, and it really helped him, was to do what the Bible already says. And that is, push yourself under the direction of the elders and trust that God is going to work through them. Because that's what the Bible says in the New Testament church. And I said, that sounds solid to me. Now, do we go around all the time trying to go to sleep so we can have a dream? Well, if you're like me, yeah, a little bit, right? I want God to speak to me every way he can. Once I was in a ministry, and I felt like I wanted to go to a different ministry, and Lois didn't agree with me. So I would pray, God, tell her, because she doesn't know, you know. And, uh, and we would talk about it, and uh, it just didn't seem like we had come to a oneness of mind yet. So I decided that I would go away. I was going away to speak up north for a week, and I decided that... During that time, what I would do is that I would pray that God would give me clear direction. Often, you know, through a passage of scripture that stands out to you, you get a confirmation, or there may be some two or three people say the same thing, or maybe a godly leader in your life gives you some insight. God, speak to me. I know you've spoken in your word. I want to obey everything your word says, but the word isn't giving me specific direction about whether I should really go back. I was running the character in, should I go back and be a pastor? I wanted to. But I thought it would be important that Lois and I agree, and, and we didn't agree yet. And so all, I remember that week, all week long, I would read my Bible kind of hungrily, thinking maybe the Lord will show me a special passage that will give me some direction. And when I would go to sleep at night, I would pray, like, Lord, you know, if you want to give me some insight, I'm, I'm really open to it. And I would go down by the lake and I would pray. And all week long, it's like I got no skywriting I got no angelic voices. I got no special dreams. I got nothing. I got nothing. And on Saturday night, my last night, I went to bed. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if God, in a dream, would give me some insight? And so I eagerly went to sleep. And my bed that night, the last thing I did was I said to the Lord, God, tell me, show me what you want me to do. What I really was saying was, Lord, can I be a pastor again, please, right now? And I woke up in the morning and I had no dream, no impression at all. Nothing. All week. Nothing. And 
I lay there in my bed, and all of a sudden I put my hands up to the Lord. I said, okay, I get it. He so clearly, uniquely led us to go to the character and, and serve. It was almost as if he said, I made it really clear that I want you to be there, and I haven't said anything else yet. I believe I could have made a decision based on wisdom, but, but in this particular case, I wanted to have a real clear sense that Lois and I would come to agreement, that we would both be agreeing, and it was. And so I immediately, as soon as I lifted up my hands, and as soon as I realized, wait a minute, I'll just do the last clear thing God told me to do, and I'll do it with all my heart until he gives me some other direction. I had freedom of my soul. I called Lois on the phone. I said, I'm going to be home, and let's go out for dinner. And I told her, about a year, year and a half after that, we had taken a little walk, and the moon was out, and we had a little conference with a leader that we were with. And while we were having the conference, I looked across the room, and I knew that I knew that Lois had agreed that it was time for us to go back in the pastorate. And we, I knew we had an agreement. And we walked back. I remember the moon was full that night. I walked back, and I didn't say anything. And about halfway back to the house, she said, I think it's time. I'm like, yeah, me too. Now, you know, it's a real dangerous thing, I suppose. If you're not careful, what can happen is people can look for subjective guidance and neglect their Bibles. Can I just say, please don't do that. Please don't do that. You have the Word of God, and nothing rises to the level of Scripture. So God, when he guides you through his Spirit, he does it this way often. Jesus said when he went away, I'm going to remind you of the things I said. And so like, like our situation with Daryl had a dream, and I asked him, what did the dream mean to you? Because it could have meant, you know, like for all of us, that we had too much to eat before we went to bed, and we had a confusing dream, and the dream really meant nothing. But in his case, what he said was specifically what the Bible says about having confidence in the church's leaders. And, and, and so I say, when, when your impression or your impulse is consistent with what the scriptures say, you're, you're, on, you're on firm footing. Here, here's my point. You and I should be living lives of spiritual sensitivity. Not just of cold rationalism, cold Christian rationalism. When we read our Bible, we should read our Bibles with our hands trembling. When we pray, we should pray with serious anticipation that God will speak to us. Specific stuff about our kids, about our marriage, about our decisions, about our besetting sins. That's the way it is when the Holy Spirit is poured out all throughout the Bible. It actually meant something specific. And, and so this is the way it is here. Notice that. You know, when they go to sleep at night, God speaking throughout the Bible, you will see, like David wrote about this, on his bed at night, he would make his bed an altar of worship. And he would be, he had a God consciousness. If I had my life to live over again, I would start when I was younger, having a consciousness of God when I lay on my bed at night so that my thoughts through the night would be pleasing to the Lord and so that insights would come and so pictures and vivid images would come into my heart that would inspire me so that I could get up the next day and I could serve the Lord. Throughout the day, I would want to have a more of a God consciousness, more of an awareness of what God's doing. So when the Spirit is unhindered in you, that's the way it is. Get it? When it's visions and dreams and prophecies. And what's prophecies is speaking for God. And, 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 and the Bible is full of things to repeat to people at the time when they most need them. This week I made a phone call because I needed some tech support from a guy. And so I called him and I said, I need some tech support. And he, he took care of the problem that I had. 
and then I gave him an encouraging word. He's a pastor, and I, and I just I just said what I believe. I said, you know, you are a really exemplary guy with an exemplary family with a clear gift from God. You've had a very, very powerful ministry. I know you're in a seam in your ministry and there's going to be some changes, but I really believe that God is going to use you. He always has. And, and, the, and all of a sudden, on the other end of the line, I realize he's weeping. And then his voice is quivering. He says, thank you for calling today. I appreciate that so much. And then I realize, oh, the call wasn't about tech support. So much as God was going to use me to speak truth into a man. And God will use you to speak truth. When, you're, when the Spirit is poured out on you, when the Spirit is unhindered, and you're in the Word, and your heart is knit to God, He will speak for you. And this is the idea. He will tell you what to say, when to say it, who to say it to, and how to say it. John Lloyd Ogilvie, it was, uh, he's with the Lord now. But he said this, the most dynamic one-to-one evangelist in my congregation don't have canned monologues when they witness, right? No, rather they know how to listen, how to care, how to empathize with love. And look at this, I love this. And the Spirit gives them insight about what to say and the timing about when to say it and the boldness to be honest, personal and incisive about helping people respond. You see that? I love this. He said the Spirit gives them insight about what to say, who to say it to, when to say it, And I think about the Bethel people, and I think about the pray and love, invite, and the gospel conversation. Don't make that a canned thing. Just think about this. You're praying for people that you care about, that God cares about, that you sense need to know the Lord. You're praying, and what you ought to be praying is, God, Holy Spirit, show me how to love them. Show me miraculously how to love them. Supernaturally empower this thing. So So I'm praying for people, and then asking God, to help me know, I mean, you know, we have whole books about how to love your wife and your husband because, you know, we have to figure this out. We're talking different love languages and all of that, right? We talk about that. And so it is when we're, we're, we're doing God's work and we're speaking God's truth into people, what if the Spirit were to guide us to say just the right thing at just the right time, just the right person? When the Spirit is poured out on us, God speaks to us at night and in the daytime, and God speaks through us telling us what to say, when to say it, how to say it, giving us the proper boldness, the proper discernment. That's the way I want to live my life. That's the way I would love to lead the Bethel family to live our lives. Think about what God would do if every morning when we got up, we we live with this kind of God consciousness. God, Spirit, be unhindered in my life. Help me to say only what I ought to say to my loved ones, to my wife, to my children, to others, not to say things I shouldn't say. Help me speak the truth. Lots and lots of times people come to me and they tell me about their problems with somebody else, you know, in a family or whatever. It's a family kind of counseling situation. And I will often ask, who do you know that can tell them the truth, someone that they really have a high regard for? Because lots of people tell the truth, right? But you know how it is when somebody walks into your life and you have a lot of confidence in them? and they have a lot of weight or gravitas in your life, or you sense the Holy Spirit is on their life, and then they say the truth to you, and you're like, mm, take it to the bank, right? Am I right? I am right about this, because this is what it's like when the Spirit of God is on somebody, and they're speaking as the oracles of God, and anointing, in other words, the Spirit of God is, you're taking the Word of God, the oracles of God, and you're speaking the truth of God into a person's life. When the Spirit moves you to do that, and like God is at work in this, and you're a piece of that, so that's the way you want to live. Man, I have a, I have, I really believe that 
fewer, many young people grow up in the church and they walk with God and live for God and they're exemplary for God. And some struggle. But I think more would be exemplary for God if the, if the things, if the Spirit of God was poured out on His people and they could see that God speaks through people and God speaks to people and it's a living reality, it's a miraculous living reality and it, it yields the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous level. Are you tracking with me? In a supernatural level. This is the language of the Bible, and we don't want to kind of have a Christian rationalism that we live in that kind of takes the miraculous completely out of things and takes the Lord completely out of things. Are you with me? How many of you are hungry for that? That's my question. And, and I, would, I would hope that you'd be sitting there right now thinking, yes, I'm in. How do I, how do I have that experience? And, and I will, our text shows us very clearly. We'll show you that. This is a pretty interesting thing, don't you think? So there's his signs and wonders in verses 30. So the first promise is he'll pour out his spirit, and he'll pour out his spirit in abundance, and he'll pour out his spirit for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That's a little bit later. We'll see that again. And what it will look like, among other things, is it will look like God will speak to us and God will speak through us. We can say that, right? Even if we have differences of opinion about, you know, the sign gifts and the cessation of sign gifts and how much and how often and where God uses the miraculous gifts, let's just say this. Can you just say this with me? Say, hey, God, you can do in my life whatever you want to do in my life and help me not to be a fruitcake. You know, just say, that'd be the prayer. You know, hey, God, do whatever you want to do in my life. And, you know, keep me from unbiblical fanaticism, which we're prone to, right? Somebody comes along and they're too lazy to read their Bible. And so, like, God told them this and told them that. You know, like my, my friend Dave had a car for sale. And a guy walked up to him and said, God told me today that you were supposed to give me that car. And my friend Dave, who's pretty sharp-witted, said, okay, I had devotions this morning, and I talked to the Lord, and it is my car, and he hasn't mentioned it to me yet. When he does, I will give you a call. <laughs> and so, you know, this is not a license to be a fruitcake. So that would be bad. If, In other words, and, and to take the silliness out of that so that you don't misunderstand me, some people take any, any truth, and, and, they, and, and they go to an extreme that's not pleasing to the Lord, and it's not consistent with the scripture, and it's not healthy, and it's not good, and maybe you've met somebody like that. But I think for most of us, on our side of the theological tracks, it's more likely that we kind of fall into a cold, lifeless, dead orthodoxy, and we're reading our Bibles and not really expecting God to speak to us. And we're living our lives and not really expecting God to be in them and to use us. And we're overcome with sins that we've gotten used to, and we don't believe that God can deliver us. Now, you can't read the Bible with, with, your, with a tender heart and come away with that kind of a cold, lifeless religion. That's why we have sections like this, that out of this darkness bursts this beautiful promise, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, men and women, young men and old men and young men servants and so forth what a what a beautiful promise and he's doing this around the world in chapter uh two there verses 30 and 31 i believe this is pretty clear that this is yet future so in bible prophecy you have an interesting thing that happens and sometimes we'll call this the mountain peaks of prophecy if the if the prophet is here and he's giving a prophecy it's as if he's looking at a distant mountain range and the mountain that's nearer looks like it's at the same distance as the mountain that's a lot farther away they look they look like they're close together 
when you get up to the mountain you see that the other mountain range is farther away and so it is with some biblical prophecies they have a near they have a sometimes they have an immediate and partial fulfillment but they have an ultimate and complete fulfillment in the future this is very common in scripture other times the prophecy has a, a couple of phases of, of the future and this is true when it talks about the end times or the day of the lord there's a sense in which we are in the end times but lots of christians say you know when the end times come but the bible says these are the last days these we're in the last days from from pentecost to the rapture we're, we're in the last days and we're, we're in the end times and, and this is a day of the lord time and there will be a specific and 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 uh catastrophic day of the lord and that's what we're going to talk about next week unless i go on and on in which case it'll be a couple weeks from now but we will talk about that because that's in joel chapter 3 where he starts talking about this cataclysmic day of the lord and the culmination of the time which is the day of the lord but what i'm saying is this joel has given this prophecy he says there's going to be a time the holy spirit poured out and we know that was pentecost because peter said it was he interpreted it in acts chapter 2 when he said this is that which was spoken of by the prophet joel and then jesus in his in the gospel in, in the olivet discourse and in its uh recorded in revelation 12 there's gonna be a time when the moon turns to blood in other words this part of that passage happened at pentecost and part of the passage happened throughout and the and the and the, the signs and wonders described in verses 30 and 31 are going to happen at a future time and notice that the sun will be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the lord comes what should what should this mean to us that this passage is here let me give you a practical powerful practical application of this that's really important and that is you know we live most of our life by faith and not by sight we haven't seen the lord we believe in him and all the stuff that we that we anchor our life to is unseen and he's saying someday all the world is going to see it and it's going to be it'll be signs and wonders on the and the earth and the sky it'll be a great day of the lord will there be a grand vindication someday someday it won't have to be taken by faith it'll be really even though an unbeliever whose heart is hardened will still fight against it god is going to reveal himself in that way and here's something more when i was a kid and i heard prophetic teaching i would think you know the things are going to get worse and worse and it's going to be a great falling away and it's going to be a great apostasy um and yet is that true yes that's true but there's something with that remember what we said for a believer all the dark clouds of judgment are what silver lined with promises so it, the day of the lord is it a bad thing or is it a good thing well it depends on who you are it depends altogether on who you are because if god is coming in holy vindication your heart is like delivered from that like all this time and what i believed is true and and it, then but yet if you're not rightly aligned with the lord it won't be a good day and then and then who who can be in on this and how does it work how do you know how do i pull the trigger on this how do i receive this how do i experience this it's really clear in a third promise and it will come to pass everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved will be delivered from this judgment and of course this is this passage this phrase is 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 used in, in like in romans other places in the in, it's obviously used in, in acts it's used in romans as a description of even greeks can be saved whoever calls so romans 3 whoever calls upon the name of the lord will be saved any nationality anybody you didn't think would qualify 
qualifies in the sense that if they qualify for God's mercy. And that's why it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And don't let this get separated. Keep around the ball. Don't let it get separated from what this passage is about. What is this passage about? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's, it's, it's a placeholder for all the other stuff that happens when you're saved, like salvation saved, delivered from this judgment. The Spirit's going to pour himself out on who? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Come on. Can you do that? See, you're a 14-year-old girl. You only listened to half of my message because you were thinking about, you know, other stuff. I know, I was 14. But you can call on the name of the Lord, and God can be alive in your life. God can help you decide the creepy boys from the boys that would be really kind and loving and good to you all your life. God can help you from, keep you from throwing down your life down a hellhole and going away from God and having your life destroyed if you have the Holy Spirit on your life. You're a young man and you, there's a lot of stuff you can't do and a lot of stuff you don't know. And you're so young that when you sit in a room of grown-up men, you don't even know the language they're talking. But the power of God can be on your life if you do what? If you call on the name of the Lord. In other words, if you have a need and you have the good sense to ask God for help, he said his Holy Spirit will come and help you with whatever need that you have. Aren't you glad you came today? So the question is, are you going to do that? Next time you're tempted, are you going to call on the name of the Lord? Next time you're having a, you know, you're having a bout of anger, are you going to call on the name of the Lord? Or about a difficulty with doubt or anxiety or fear or depression or lust, are you going to call on the name of the Lord? Next time you get in a tangle in your marriage, are you going to go out and say, God, pour yourself out upon me. Pour yourself out upon my wife. Next time that you're thinking and your heart is broken about one of your kids who's far from God, are you going to call on the name of the Lord and ask the mighty God to act on your behalf? See, that's really the question here. And it comes down to this. You know who the people are? You, 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 who are the people who call the Lord? They're the people the Lord has called upon. God moves you to call on him. That's why it says it right here. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. And the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord Calls. There's an inclusio in the first section. It's like pouring out the Spirit, pouring out the Spirit. There's inclusio in the last section. It's like, you're going to call the Lord. He's called on you. You feel the Lord calling you today? Does what I say just bore you all together? Or does it stir your heart? Because if it stirs your heart, it's likely that God is calling on you to call on Him for whatever it is that you need Him for. My daughter one time, Heidi, she was driving her car and she got rear-ended. It was a bad accident. I was in another state. She's literally sitting there with broken glass around her and doesn't know what to do. She did exactly what I wanted her to do. She called me, Dad, what do I do? What do I do? God the Father is waiting to pour out himself on those of us who have the good sense to call on him in our day of trouble. America is in trouble. Whether you know it or not, America is in dark trouble. We have spiraled away from God. This is going to suck our children into a vortex of judgment unless somebody calls on God to pour himself out and to rescue us, right, from what we've gotten ourselves into. But he will. 
I want you to see this. Take a look at this passage before we, we're going to pause the message and we're going to pick it up next week. But I want you to see this from Acts chapter 2. And I want you to read it. This is how we know this applies to us. Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. This is his message on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. And by the way, if you haven't repented and been baptized, this is what you need to do. Every one of you, who's that applies to? Everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off. That, who is that? Who is that? That's us. Say, that's me. That's me. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. He's quoting. But this part, this part right here, all who are far off, this promise is for us. Look at the next passage. This is the, another passage from Isaiah 44. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and they'll spring up like willows by the waters, like grass in the, in the meadow. This is a promise of spiritual vitality for generations, which includes our generation. You can claim this. And so bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the musicians to come. And I'm going to ask the prayers to come. So heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Praying people come, the ones that are designated to pray here. And musicians come. And we're going to close our service today by singing. But here's what I want to do. I would like very much for us to think about our problems and our besetting sins and our relationship problems and our country's great dark needs and the promises of God and I would, would think how wonderful would it be if the Bethel people would get in the habit of every time they have a sense of their own dark need, every time they have a sense of their own temptation, their own lack of self-control, their own lack of gentleness or faithfulness or joy or love, that we would call on the Lord to pour himself out afresh upon us. And some of you here today, you might want somebody to pray with you, in which case, while we're singing or when we're done singing, we have people here that will pray with you, will listen to your specific need, and I'll be happy to do that. Before we sing together, I'd like you to stand and pray with me. Would you stand, please, right now? And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And if you would sing prayerfully, think about this. This song is asking for a, a special, because we have the Spirit living in us if we're believers, right? But God will act in an unhindered way if we move our stubbornness, our selfishness, our flesh out of the way. And we ask Him, we call upon Him to act. Heavenly Father, work among your people, work in my heart today, right now, Lord, that you would point out to us the area where we can believe you to work, whether that's with a wayward loved one or with a, with a troubled relationship or with a hurting marriage or with a financial need or with a, a besetting sin. We want to welcome you, Holy Spirit, to work.